beautiful is it not to see spring coming? Still cold, but glorious sunshine, trees budding, and birds singing the praise of their creator. Join me in prayer. Oh, blessed Lord, how, how wondrously good you are to us. How you have blessed us with life, blessed us with being created in thine image. The joy of knowing you. The joy of experiencing, yes, the ups and downs, but experiencing hope very real hope built upon the certainty that is ours in your you Christ Jesus now father bless this time together around thy word as we bring to a close the current portion of scripture in Colossians speak to our mind of the truth you have given. Speak to our wills, softening us, that we are quicker to respond with a yes, Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. And speak to our affections, Lord, for they are the, <laughs> the battleground. When we're grumpy, we choose grumpiness. When we're happy, we choose happy. Lord, help our eyes to be fixed on you, regardless of what the weather current of our emotional state is. Now speak through thy scripture, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn with me, Colossians chapter 2. Let's stand together as I read verses 13 through 15. The apostle continues his flow of thought, saying, And when you were dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh. He made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken out of the way having nailed it to the cross. When he had cast off the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him, through it, the word of God. You may be seated. <clears throat> We need to first do a doctrinal review, looking at where the Apostle Paul has taken us thus far. 
verse 7. Verse 7, you can look at it. The all-sufficient Christ has rooted us in himself. Verse 6, we'll back up. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, which is premised upon all that he has taught from 1 verse 3 up to this point, as you have received the gloriously supreme Jesus Christ, so walk in him. But verse 7, having been firmly rooted, being built up, being established in your faith. And we saw last week that there are three things that the apostle develops here that shows how we walk in him and why we walk in him. First, we have fellowship with Christ, verses 7 through 12. Second, there is the fruit of where we were, verses 13 and 14. And then finally, 15, we are freed from the brute, the brute of Satan himself. Listen to Ephesians 3. Turn there with me, if you will, verse 17 through 19, and consider the, the wondrous flow of this sister epistle with our text today, Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. It surpasses memorization of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Do I highly advocate that? The love of Christ surpasses your knowledge of the data of the creeds and confessions. But not all of us have tasted in an epigenosical way an epicenter type way of that love. And then he says that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. First Corinthians 3, 6 through 7 captures the heart of the same thing when Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the increase or growth. So then, the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Rooted, planted, God causing growth, 
This is John 15 language, the vine and the branches. So back to Colossians 2, 6 and following. Paul begins the gospel imperatives in verse 6, but <laughs> wondrously he cannot proceed. He cannot proceed with 28 imperatives this small epistle will present us with without first going back and revisiting the gospel indignities which gloriously enable and support the imperatives. If you don't understand who you are in Christ, there is no way you're going to be able to grasp the volume of commands, of imperatives, to change your speech, change your behavior, change your attitude, and start walking as Christ did. This is not legalism, it's the gospel. Who we are in Christ enables us to hear the imperatives. So then in chapter 2, verse 8, just a review. Paul says, do not be taken captive, do not be seduced by the emptiness of man's thinking as opposed to Christ. Now, because of several conversations, I will say this now that I will say. Yes, common grace blesses fallen man, saved or not. My neuro neither my neurologists nor my endocrinologists are Christians. But common grace is blessing their administration of medicine to me. But when the category of common grace builds on an assumption denying God the Creator, denying God the moral law-giver, and embracing an entirely false anthropology view of man, then the ability to diagnose, prognose, and prescribe therapies will of necessity be seriously flawed at best and false at worst. Now, true on that, that's a full paragraph or sentence. Listen to it again at your leisure. Third, Paul then turns, verses 9 and 10, that this is all built, premised upon the fact that in Christ, all the and the word he uses is fullness. All the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made, and uses the same word again, 
full in Him. As deity is full in Jesus Christ, you have been made full in Jesus Christ. And He is the head over all rule and authority. Now, fourth review, he then goes on to say, and in him, verse 11, you were circumcised with the circumcision of Christ in baptism. Very key. Very important doctrine that we touched last week. In Christ, we were circumcised with the circumcision of Christ in baptism. Brethren, Colossians chapter 2 displays the covenantal unity of the Old and New Testaments. This is very foundational. Colossians 2 displays the unity of the covenants between in the Old and New Testament. Baptism is the circumcision of Christ. Baptism is the circumcision of Christ and signifies the washing away of sin, rebirth by the Spirit of God, and membership in the body of Christ, actual membership in Jesus. So while baptism is not identical to circumcision, it corresponds to it in essence, pointing to the same spiritual benefits and has replaced it as the sign of the covenant. And that's a virtual, not, though not exact quote from, you guessed it, the Reformation Study Bible. So you can review that there. Listen to the wisdom of Calvin here. Paul proves that the circumcision of Moses is not merely unnecessary, but is opposed to Christ because it destroys the spiritual circumcision of Christ. For circumcision was given to the fathers that it might be a figure of a thing that was absent. Those, therefore, who retain the figure after Christ's coming, after Christ's advent, deny the accomplishment of what that figure prefigured. Let us therefore bear in mind that outward circumcision is here compared with spiritual, just as a figure is with the reality. 
So what, what Paul contends for is this, that inasmuch as what was shuttled forth by a circumcision made without hands has been completed in Christ, the fruit and advantage of it are now made void. Once Christ has come, you do not turn back to the shadowy figures, or you are denying, voiding out the true reality to which those figures pointed. Very, very, very important. Hence, Calvin again, the circumcision which is made in the heart is the circumcision of Christ, and that on this account, that which is outward is not now required, because where the reality exists, the shadowy emblem vanishes like a shadow, inasmuch as it has no place except unless the reality is absent. But he's not absent. Christ has come to which these things pointed. Calvin concludes, Christ accomplishes in us spiritual circumcision, not through the means of that ancient sign, which was in force under Moses, but by baptism. Baptism, therefore, is a sign of the thing presented to us, which, while absent, was prefigured by circumcision. The argument is taken from the government and dispensation which God has appointed in his church. This is God's design, this covenantal unity with the changes he has made. So when he says we are buried with Christ, this means more <clears throat> than that we are crucified with him, for burial expresses a continual process of mortification. Hear that again. Burial expresses a continued process of mortification. Read Romans 8.17. The Christian life is all about putting to death the deeds of the flesh. So how is it with you? What have you been working on putting to death this past week? In a highly techy church, we can have a huge screen up here. Adam Walton would text in, this is what I did. John Chunk would text in, this was mine. 
but God knows. And he also knows that some of us haven't put anything to death for a long time. But that's not how the Christian life is lived. The Christian life is lived putting to death whatever the Spirit of God fingers in your conscience through the preached word, through the read word. He will do that. Why? He's fitting us for heaven. Now, explanation, verses 13 to 14. 13 to 14 of Colossians 2. The sister epistle to Ephesus, I'm not going to read Colossians again, but listen to Ephesians verses 1 through 6. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. You know that sometimes temptation is physiologically based, yes? And you know also that sometimes temptation is purely cognitively and affectively, emotionally based. So indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Pastoral reflection. God had great love for you even when you were dead in your trespasses. God has great love for you even when you struggle with sinful thoughts, sinful words, sinful behavior. Is this how you do it? Is this how you do it with someone who has wronged you? Someone who has dishonored you? Someone who's lied about you? 
someone who has lied to you? Is this how you do it? The way God's done you? See, that's the aligning standard to which the child of God constantly reorients himself. In airplane, air flight lingo, that's called, uh, I guess, Dave, not getting off your vector, I guess. We drove Tammy and I with Dave and Amy north 180 miles to discuss a counseling ministry in a church. And as we're going, Dave, following his wife's instructions, turned off on a highway that he wasn't supposed to. I'll take the flag for that later. But he got off course, as Dave said, my vector was off you know, in an airplane. Some of us are seriously astray in our behavior towards our wives, children, husbands, because of what they've done. But is that how God has dealt you? It is by grace that you've been saved and not by God being angry at you. You know what anger shows, my dear brother, sister, Anger shows you don't truly know him. One-on-one, -on -one, challenge me on that. I'll talk with you. You don't truly know him. Oh, you may know a lot of data about him, but you don't sound much like Christ. Your face doesn't look much like Christ. And you don't leave the kind of blessing behind you that Christ left everywhere he went. Repent. Come to God say, I'm sorry. I don't even want to pray this, Lord. But I think I need to change. Repent. He'll meet you because he loves you. <laughs> he loves us despite us. Mm, what a thought. Oh, the joy knowing that while we were dead in sin and trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. And observe how Paul describes the believers in Colossae. They had been dead in their trespasses and uncircumcision of their flesh. Paul speaks of the obstinacy of the human heart in opposition to God and of a nature defiled by corrupt affections. Behold what is on TV. Paul describes it here. 
behold the lifestyles all around you in culture. Behold what the movies portray, or what social media parades before your eyes. It is from the cesspool of sin that God transfers miserable men and women out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son. All glory and praise be to God forever and ever. Amen. But observe, he made us alive together with Christ by having forgiven us all our transgressions, trespasses. That's verse 13. Now observe. Paul characteristically speaks of or emphasizes justification, not forgiveness. If you know your New Testament, you know that to be true. Paul typically talks about justification, not forgiveness. And when he speaks of sin, He'll speak of sin in the singular, as in Romans 5 or 1 Corinthians 15. Big category of sin. Not in the plural, like he does here in verse 13. Why the focus here on having forgiven us all our trespasses? The Spirit's purpose here may be to emphasize that God has put away the guilt that arises from a multiplicity of sins. The guilt that arises from a multiplicity of sins. Some of us have a lot of guilt. Pilgrim's Progress, that's called the Slough of Despond. It's a miserable place. But even more is the nature of the Greek word here translated forgiven. The Greek word charizomai comes from the root charis, which means grace. You say, what? The word translated forgiven here is from the word for grace, gift, joy, even. Kindness, favor, yes. Placed alongside trespasses in verse 13. 13. And it becomes having forgiven us, having graced us, having gifted us with kindness. And observe the suggested attitude of God extending his forgiveness to us. That leaps out at me exegetically. 
The word for forgiveness is the root word for grace. Grace. God has forgiven us graciously, not grudgingly. While listening, one more time to your confession. Pastoral reflection. Is this how you give forgiveness? Does your heart just abound and overflow with kindness, graciousness, and the forgiveness offered to the one who's saying they're sorry? But you say, but they have not confessed and asked for forgiveness. Ah, oh. but when did God meet you? with his graciously kind forgiveness. Did you really, were you the one initiating it? Oh no, he met you before you initiated it. Rethink the attitude of heart with which we approach interpersonal relationships. Model your behavior after how the Father in Christ has dealt you. Very, very important. Thus, Paul, by using this gracious word for forgiveness, I was surprised when I looked it up. <laughs> Scratch my head. Cars, grace, hmm, deep. Thus, Paul, by using this gracious word forgiveness, reveals the particular action achieved by what he cites in verse 14 and how it shattered the power of Satan in verse 15. Now that was a trajectory of thought well packed. Think it through. Verse 14. In verse 14, Paul describes the particulars by which God achieved the kind forgiveness of our trespasses. He canceled out the certificate of death which consisted of decrees against us and which, I think ESV says, stood or stands against us. It's much stronger than that, New American Standard, which was hostile to us. And he has taken away, having nailed it to the cross. Here Paul references the law of God, which being holy, righteous, and good, condemns, yea, damns the sinner. 
Thou shalt be holy, for I am holy. Indeed, Christian, in Pilgrim's Progress, taking Mr. Worldly Wise Man's counsel, wanders from the path, finds himself walking a path, and comes underneath the looming brow of a mountain overshadowing him. He fears it's about to fall on him. He learns later it's Mount Sinai. Yes, it was about to fall on him. And Paul shows the wondrousness of the kindness of God in forgiveness by canceling the legal record of death against us in his holy law. And he shows the manner in which Christ canceled the record of death against us. For fastened with Christ to the cross was our curse, our sins, the punishment, divine wrath due to them. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, which were laid on him. He offered himself an offering for guilt, bearing our iniquities, bearing the sin of many. As Peter says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Blessed be God for Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 15. Verse 15, Calvin says there is no doubt that he means devils whom scripture represents as accusing us before God. Verse 15, when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made public display of them, having triumphed over them, through him, New American and ESV say, through him, citing Christ. The remarkable verb here, which you see me alluding to in the very title itself of the sermon, the remarkable verb describing the Father's action through the cross literally describes God stripping off from himself Satan and his host of accusing demons against the children of God due to their sins. It's not just a disarming of them. Yes, that happened. But it was a stripping off of their ability to come and make accusation. 
in what sense did Satan and his hosts have the right of access to bring accusation? Well, God's holiness and holy law applied to sinners. Satan had facilitated the fall of Adam the first, thus laying claim to God's words, the soul that sinneth shall surely die. And so Satan has right of entry into the throne room to accuse Job, but at the cross, at the cross, God the Father and God the Son stripped Satan's alleged usurped right of accusing sinners before God by canceling the debt, canceling the certificate against us by the blood sacrifice of the perfect Lamb of God upon the cross. Consequently, Satan and his minions were cast out of heaven. And so rings true the glorious gospel words, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies, who is the one who condemns Christ Jesus. Is he who died, yea, rather who was raised, and who is at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us? Wow. Society, the angelic, demonic legions, God the Father made public display, triumphing over them through the cross through the sacrifice of Christ. Listen to Calvin. Although in the cross there was nothing but curse, it was nevertheless swallowed up by the power of God so that it has put on a new nature. For there is no tribunal so magnificent, no throne so stately, no show of triumph so distinguished, no chariot so elevated as is the gibbet on which Christ has subdued death and the devil the prince of death, nay, has utterly trodden them underneath his feet. Well, let me pray. Father, we are amazed and just, Father, we're blown away by the 
tenderness of your grace, mercy, and love to us, even while we were really, really bad, alienated from you. Oh Lord, this models for us how we should behave toward our neighbors. Father, we thank you for the unity we have with Christ being rooted in him. We thank you for the cancellation of the fruit of sin that took place on the cross. And we thank you that you have subdued, crushed, canceled the power of the devil, laying accusation, though just, against us. Because anything that we are accused of, Christ has already paid the price. We bless your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. Communion Sunday, March 27th. I hope you feel blessed. We are blessed as a church. Land in process of purchase, land in process of sale, pastor in process of showing up as a candidate. Let us pray the richness of God's blessings on what is coming. But on this last Lord's Day of March, we observe this blessed sacrament of the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, instituted by our beloved Lord Jesus the night before his sacrificial death. Turn with me to Luke, the Gospel of Luke 22, Luke 22 verses 14 through 20 for the words of institution by Christ. <clears throat> and the remarkable thing is to consider how full Christ's awareness of what all was going to happen on the cross, even here, that the Spirit of God through Paul unpackages for us in Colossians. Wow. Luke 22, 14. When the hour had come, Christ reclined and the apostles with him. And he said, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken the cup, given thanks, he said, take this, share it among yourselves. For I say to you, 
I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken bread, given thanks, he broke and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Mm. Father, bless to us through our sense of taste, our sense of smell, of touch, of sight, these emblems, these figures of the very real mystical presence of Christ amidst us. Jesus, touch the hearts of those that you are tending tenderly with your love, we pray. If you are here this day and you profess the gospel of the blessed Jesus Christ through both word and deed, you trust yourself to be one of his children. You are in good standing with an evangelical church where the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed, then we welcome you to participate in this holy sacrament. Remember his broken body, thus enabling the Father to cast off thy accuser, his poured out blood, blood of the covenant. Yet be warned of the danger of eating and drinking in an unworthy manner and thus becoming guilty of the body and blood of the Lord, eating and drinking judgment to thyself. Romans 11 or 1 Corinthians 11. So if you harbor and nurse unforgiveness, bitterness, or resentment, simply bow your head, make confession again, and receive of the Father's sweet grace because of Christ. Let us pray. Father, as we partake and recall your words that this is my body and this is my blood, we are mindful of the wondrous, salvific, theological things being achieved at the cross. All oh, we glory in the goodness of thy grace. Now bless our remembrance and worship. In Jesus' name, amen.